Are you finding it increasingly difficult to find and hire the staff you want? Do you feel like there's no good people left to hire? If you feel you've tried everything to find great people, but more and more it seems hopeless, then you're going to want to hear what my friend Bill Snow is doing about it. He will explain who your competition really is when it comes to staffing and what you can do to stand out as a premier business to work for in your community. It's driving change from ATI. I'm Jeff Berman. This podcast was created to improve our members' experience and to further assist with their growth. My hope is that you'll find the stories you hear from fellow shop owners relatable to where you are, where you were, or where you want to be, ultimately inspiring you to take that next necessary step. You'll be hearing how others fought the same fight and what they did to get through it and come out better on the other side. Tune in each month for another inspiring story to drive change in your shop. Well, I'm here today with Bill Snow from Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, I will say today is what Tuesday, right? It's yes. Tuesday afternoon. Uh, it's looking like it's going on 6 p.m. And Bill just got out of his car. He drove all the way down here from Ohio just to sit here with me for the next probably hour or two and then come back tomorrow morning for a three-day marketing class. So, Bill, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Oh, thanks for having me. There's no thing I'd rather do than hang out with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay, so that said, Bill, tell us a little bit about yourself. What brings you here? Yeah, um, so, uh, again, Bill Snow, and uh, I own a shop in Wycliffe, Ohio, which is just east of Cleveland, and uh, opened up a little bit over five years ago. Been an ATA, ATI member for about two and a half years. And um, want to get together with you and talk about something I'm really passionate about, and that's growing our own, as the the industry term has been. It's getting out in the industry, it's in the community, it's talking about what it's like to be a mechanic, and it's working with today's young men and women to help them better understand what well, we do. Why is that even important? What do you mean growing your own? I mean, why can't you just go hire a technician? Well, for all the shop owners that are listening to this, they're probably shaking their head saying, we can't hire anybody. We can't find anybody. Anybody we can find are called retreads. They've been up and down every shop around town, and uh, they're not the right fit. So if we're going to get the right fit, we got to make them the right fit. So we're here today to talk about how you found talent. Is that what you're telling me? Exactly. What well, I did in the community to get some, some young blood in the door. i got to say that if you got an answer to that, Every single human listening should be glued to the radio right now or to whatever device they're listening through because that is what this industry needs more than anything. So thanks for coming and sharing that wisdom with everybody. Absolutely. Now, before you do, I'd like to take a minute and go back. Yeah. Um, you're an entrepreneur. You own your shop. I do. Give us a little background there. How, you know, What got you started? How long have you been in business? Talk to us a little bit. Yeah, so we opened up February 2014. And... Um, I never got a paycheck as a mechanic. I tinkered a little bit with uh, race cars and my own cars over the years, but did not grow up as a traditional shop owner that you know was a mechanic that wanted to put a shingle out. My, my catalyst to, uh, to do this was I was actually working on my MBA. One night started to drift off in class and thought, you know, I really want to have a business that gets me a way to help people and get closer to cars. I've always been passionate about cars and motorsports. The, the big change happened when the family and I were taking a trip to uh, Topsail Beach. 
And about an hour from the beach, my wife's car overheated. We were on the side of the road. I took the thermostat out. We went a little bit further and it was done. It was overheated and we got it towed to the beach and the shop looked at it and said, yeah, whoever's been servicing your vehicle has been mixing coolants and you've basically got jello in your radiator. So had them fix it. And uh, while I was sitting on the beach, I told my wife, I said, if this happened to us, if we're getting poor car care on simple things like maintenance, and I got to tell you, Jeff, I never worked on her car. Always trusted it to the dealer or to a local chain that we had in the community. I'd always ask, what else do we need to do now? Nothing. Never told anything. Not even from the dealer. And uh, so anyways, I told my wife, I said, this has happened to us. It's got to be happening to other families. And this is not how car care should be. We got to find a better way to do it. So we got back home. We had a great vacation. Got back home. Dusted off that business plan and really started to put pen to paper about how can we build a business, build a culture and a good team to deliver good results to clients. So you, I assume you finished school and got your MBA, right? I did, yeah. I, part of me thinks, man, you're a smart guy. It's good to have a smart guy in our business. But then I think, look what you did. How smart are you really? <laughs> <laughs> you sound like my wife. <laughs> <laughs> but you've made a successful business, so clearly you know, you've done a great job. And yeah. It, it's nice to have people in the, in the industry that really come from you know, not growing up with cars, but just with a, just a, a, a fun, you know, cars are cool, you know, yeah. and now look at you. So, so you don't really have any automotive or, or mechanical background, do you? Nothing formal. Nope. That's interesting. Do you think that's been an advantage or a disadvantage? I think in some ways it's been uh, an advantage because I don't come in with those um, preconceived notions of certain things. When, when clients would call to schedule an appointment, you know, Bill, what do you think this is? Do you, I don't know what it is. I'm not a mechanic, but I'll tell you what, when I guys look at it, we'll be able to tell you what it is. You know, it's Friday yeah. better. Let's do it then. So, you know, you don't have that sort of, oh, I know how to do it. The car rolls up in the parking lot. You know, the tendency sometimes is to triage it, pop the hood, let's take a look. You know, I, I couldn't necessarily do that with, uh, you know, with any authority, knowing what I'm talking about. So you think it's been more an advantage than a disadvantage? Yeah, I, I really do. Do you feel like there's anything that maybe you were at a disadvantage as a result? No, not necessarily. You know, coming in, I had to come in, you know, sort of with my, my guard up so that I wouldn't get fooled by technicians. You know, again, you know, I tinkered. I worked on race cars in, my, in, in the college days. You know, I, I can work on my own car. You know, technician says, well, we got to do this orifice tube. And, you know, as we're doing this line repair... You know, that was something I maybe had to go research a little bit and, you know, just to hold, make sure I wasn't getting, you know, but how many you times were, do you orifice tube come up in conversation? You were smart enough to do the research yeah. and not just take their word for it, exactly. which, is, which is why that worked out. Yeah. For you. That's awesome. And I'm sure you learned a lot along the way. Oh, I have. So, I mean, now when we have a technician go on vacation, I'm in the bay doing the work. Oh, well, that's not good. You learn nothing then. You're not, you're not, you're not the owner I thought you well, were. Well, I'll tell you what. I, I tell the guys, I tell the guys, I said, this is not the seat on the bus that I want to be in. So pick up the slack so I can stay in the office, get the marketing done, do my ATI. You just put a dagger in my heart, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's all good, though. I understand. Yeah. So I got to go back one step, and then we'll get to yep. the story. You said that your, uh, your wife's car broke down, and you came to this realization that other shops are not doing the job that they should, that this dealership wasn't doing. And you said that in that conversation with the dealership, you'd always ask them, you know, what else needs to be done? Or is there anything else that needs to be done? And they've always said no. I'm curious, do you, now that you're a business owner, shop owner, looking back on that experience, do you think you know why they may not have told you the truth? 
why they kind of held that back and not shared with you the maintenance needs? Maybe they thought I would say no. Maybe they thought it wasn't important to me to maintain that vehicle. You know, it wasn't a leased vehicle. I don't know. Beer? Maybe. Maybe they. Yeah, maybe they. Thought if I tell them to buy it, they'll they'll think same. it's too expensive, or he won't like us anymore because they'll think we're lying, or anything like that. Maybe. It's a dealership now. It's a dealership, and here's the funny thing. So this vehicle, it's got the Hemi. It needs spark plugs every thirty thousand miles. Never. It never changed. Never mentioned. The only thing one shop told me once was a PCV valve. How many years ago was this? So it's an 05 Durango. And uh, we were on vacation in 2012. So the car was seven years old. Wow. And it was still running? Ah, it's still on the road today. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, I heard some horror stories with those engines, but yes, it is what it is. Yeah. You've been lucky. And you know what? Here's the funny thing. Or the interesting thing. I would have said yes. Hey, by the way, Mr. Snow, you need you know you need some spark plugs. It's at thirty thousand. You need a coolant flush. You need a thermos. Okay, it's the family car. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So now, I mean, that that's a philosophy that I have at the shop, and that our service advisor has as well. Is it's our responsibility to tell the client what their vehicle needs. If they say no, we've done our job. Maybe not selling it, we haven't done our job, but we've done the education they need yeah. to keep that vehicle running. And that's the thing is that they they didn't even take it that far, even no. if they were crappy salespeople. They yeah. didn't inform the customer properly, which is really what I was getting at. Why would they not do that? And there's probably a hundred reasons we could apply to that, right? They were scared. They didn't think the customer had the money. You know, maybe they just didn't look. They didn't care. There was no training. I mean, there could be a million reasons why. The point is, to anybody listening, they probably have or have had all of those same reasons. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping that they're seeing this just from a consumer discussion long before you owned a shop. How valuable that is to be able to, at the very least, make sure you're sharing with the customer the things that they need. Because what happens is down the road, what you realize is what you did, is that by not getting the right information, not being informed, that caused the damage of the relationship with that dealership that they were trying to probably avoid. Yeah. Right? By right. saying nothing, they thought they were doing better. But in reality, as soon as something happens, now they look like the ass. Yeah. But they really are. Exactly. So that was great. You know, I know it's not what we're talking about today, but I, I had to get into that because yeah, a lot of people like to hear that story. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about it. So you're telling me you found great talent. You got to start from the beginning. How, how did this happen? Well, when I opened my business, I joined the Laker, uh, local chamber of commerce and okay. got got involved. And if anyone listening is not involved in a chamber, what a chamber does, it's designed to help promote businesses within the community. So you have luncheons and you have dinners and you have breakfast, you know, networking events. Um, and I developed a, a relationship with our chamber president. Well, she was approached by a uh, career, I guess career counselor for eighth graders uh, with one of the local school districts. And she asked uh, the chamber president, I need, I need to talk to a mechanic. I need to talk to a shop owner that can come in and talk to our eighth graders about you know, what, what it's like to work in the industry. And she quickly said, you got to talk to Bill. Bill's your guy for that. So I got connected with her and for the last four years have been giving talks at the eighth grade level on career day about what it's like to work in our industry. Eighth grade? Eighth grade. They're not driving cars for years. They're not. But here's why eighth grade's important, at least in this school district, is that's the last year they're in that building before they go to high school. And then within two years, they have the opportunity to enter into the vocational programs. Oh, so whether it's culinary or uh, computer science, like you know, graphic design, I think is part of that. There's also automotive and auto body. So what the school district's trying to do is introduce these kids to 
hey, there's something other than college. There's something that you can work with your hands. There's something that you can use your brains in a different way. Hear from someone that's doing it today and help that influence your decision. But aren't the uh, guidance counselors all and all the schools pushing kids to go to college? Isn't that what they're supposed to be doing? They used to, but now we got this big labor shortage in the trades. So now they're quickly changing gears, realizing that college isn't for everyone. College is expensive. Parents might talk to these career counselors and say, we don't have the money to send Bobby to college. Do you have anything else we could talk to him about? So when she asked you to speak, you know, I assume there's other businesses involved in the chamber. Yes. And she wasn't looking necessarily for automotive. She was looking for someone to talk about a trade, right? She was looking for a lot of trades, but automotive was one they were having a tough time coming up with on her own, so that's why she reached out to the so chamber. That, okay, so it yeah. was specific. It was specific. I understand. I yep. understand. So they were looking for culinary. They weren't looking for whatever. They were looking for cars. Yeah. Now, just, just to be clear, on, on career day, these children go to four different sessions, 25 minutes each, and they, they get to choose which ones they go to. So they, they you know, the, here's the one I compete against every time. The SWAT guy comes in. Oh, yeah. He comes in with a SWAT van. He's got, you know, all of his, you know, armor on. He comes in with a nice unloaded gun. Um, but yeah, he's there. We sometimes have some graphic designers. There's a chef that brings cookies in. Tough to compete with that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's great that the children get exposed yeah, to Yeah, you, you have a good turnout, I typically, I would imagine. Yeah. We do, yeah. So in, in the automotive sessions, we'll have anywhere from 12 to 20 kids in each, each of the sessions. How so many times do you do it? So it's every March, every year. So once a year? Once a year. Every March, and March because that's towards the end of the school year. Towards the end year. of the school year, yeah. And some of the districts will do a field trip to the vocational school in eighth grade. Okay. So before they get to the high school, they'll actually have just a half half day that they go and hang out at one of the vocational schools that's affiliated with that district. You know, and they get walked around. Hey, here's here's what the automotive program looks like. Here's what the cosmetology program looks like. Here's what the travel and tourism program looks like. This is in at the actual high school, but the high school itself when they go to the trade school, well, actually that was at the middle school, That's but it, yeah. when they go to high school and then end up deciding they want to do something in the VOTEC school, if, if I remember right, when we were talking earlier, you said that the high school doesn't have its own VOTEC program. They're actually busing them over to a different school. Is that right? So how does that work? Yeah. So a bunch of districts share one facility. So the students will come in on buses and when they're done with their regular classes at their, their home school their home high school, and then they'll, they'll be bused there for the afternoon. How many schools feed into that? Uh, the one I work with mostly, there's uh, eight different districts that get students. And then there's one on the, there's another one in, in the area that gets three different schools. And there's another one that I, in, that I talk with, and that program has four schools. So there's a total of 12, is that right? Yeah, 12 different high schools sharing three facilities. This is either going to be a aha moment for you or an aha moment for me. <laughs> we'll see where this question goes. Yeah. But, but um, that to me, that's 12 different schools that feed to that Votech school. That's 12 different places for you to do a career day or whatever it is. Are you involved in all those schools in some way, shape, or form? I'm involved with them only when their students are at the tech program. So if we're going to give a talk to the tech program, but eighth grade, you said is oh, when it started. The eighth grade's just yeah. So eighth grade's just two, two school districts are the only. Not every school district has the eighth grade program. Okay, but but regardless of that, they're going to go in ninth grade. So in the high school in ninth grade, those twelve schools you mentioned mm -hmm. should could that be an opportunity in some way, shape, or form? It could be. Yes. 
Absolutely. So when those folks are in the high school and they're starting to get introduced to, hey, you have the opportunity when you're a junior and senior to go to a different school and learn a trade, there are opportunities to get in there. I've not gotten into all 12. How many? Right now, I talk to three different districts. I can't wait to hear how that's going, but I hope when we're done, you realize that maybe you could do more. That would be awesome. Yes. That would be so. It is an aha moment for you. Maybe. It is. You know, it's a re- it's a reminder that hey, you know, don't don't let the idea of getting to other schools get dusty. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. So tell me how this works in the high schools. What, what are you doing there? In the high schools or in the vo- vocational schools? Well, wherever. I, so we'll talk about the, we'll talk about vocational schools, and then we'll talk about high, you know high schools where they don't you know to non automotive students. Okay. So when once we started getting traction with this. And I saw that there was an interest in some students because, Jeff, here's what's really cool. So I go around, I'm very interactive with the students, much like you are when you teach a class. You know, someone's not, someone's not participating, what do you do? Kick them. Yeah, exactly. You call on them. Verbally kick them. Yes. Kick them. Yeah. Um, you know, so in, in talking with these students, there are, there are men, young men and women that are already working on cars. Because so I'll say, who, who's working on a car? Whose car did you work on with them? Um, you know, so some of these children are already interested in working with their hands. They just need that little bit of more exposure to our industry. Um, so I took that and said, well, if, if this is step one, what's step two? Well, step two would be, okay, these children get to, so I kind of skipped over the ninth and 10th grade. Now they're in a tech program. Let me talk to them there. Let me give them some perspectives of what it's like to work in our industry. Let me answer their questions. Let me invite them in for two, you know, tours of the shop. Um, and let me develop relationships with the tech uh, instructors. I mean, very selfishly, my goal when I first started this was if I have a great relationship with the tech school, specifically the tech instructor, that instructor is probably going to call me first when they say, hey, I got a shining star. Are you interested? Because he doesn't know anybody else. Nobody else is doing this. And in other parts of the country, they might be, but in my community, nobody else was doing this. And that's exactly how it played out with two of my hires. So anyways, what I did is I reached out to uh, the principal of one of the tech programs and then also the current auto mechanic instructor and said, hey, you know, is there anything I could do to help? Do you need my industry perspective? Do you ever need a guest speaker? Is, you know, this? And they said, hey, thanks for reaching out. We'll be in touch. And sure enough, one day they emailed back and said, yeah, you know what? We'd love to have you come in and, and talk to folks. And then I actually got a student who stayed with me for three years. So he worked when he was 16, 17, 18, and then he thought he needed to go to the dealership, and I patted him on the back, and I said, thanks for everything you did. Enjoy dealership life, and, you know, the, the door might be open. Let's continue to talk, and we do. We still keep in touch. But here's where it's gone, too. So there's been a change in the, the teaching staff at, at this particular school, so I had to start all over and develop another relationship with this other tech That's instructor. Right. And we did. We, we hit it off. I came in. I gave some talks to his juniors, and I gave some talks to his seniors. And you know, a little bit of Q and A, a little bit what it's like to own a shop. You know, because some of these folks aren't interested in um, maybe being a mechanic. Some of them wanted to be service writers or parts managers. Okay, well, let me show you how that works in the aftermarket. I could probably talk to the dealership level a little bit. But here's one thing that surprised me. I talked to a class of seniors. Half of that class of seniors were going on for a four-year degree at a college. So they went into tech thinking, okay, I want to give this a try. 
it wasn't really what they were expecting, but decided to see it through. And now, in their mind, hey, if I ever want this as a hobby, I know what to do. If I ever need something to fall back on, if I don't get hired out of school, I got something to do. Safety net, yeah. Yeah. So think about those guys and gals coming out of college, four-year degree. They've got their tech program behind there. They could very well find themselves into our industry, whether at the shop level, the aftermarket parts level. Who knows? But this tech instructor and I, one day I get a call saying, hey, we got, we got an extra ticket to the auto show. Do you want to go with us? So I met, met them down there. Saw the kids, and then the tech instructor and I walked through the new car show for about three hours together, just talking about the industry. Wow. Two days later, I got an email saying, I got a junior who's just heads and shoulders above the rest. What do you think? You want to talk to him? Absolutely. And now he's on my payroll, uh, working the summer, and then he's going to do work study as a senior. Huh. So, as a, as a person listening to this right now, I'm going to play devil's advocate, because I hear this a lot. Yeah, Jeff, I went to the Votech schools. The, the people in the Votech schools, they think they come out of school thinking they're an ATEC mechanic and they don't have a clue what they're doing. I don't know if you've experienced that or not, but that's, that's what I hear. So what would you say to guys like that? So you're right. Some of the, some of the vocational programs inform these kids that they're going to come out day one doing timing chains, timing belts, engine rebuilds. That's not the case. So the approach I've taken is I have a PowerPoint I come in with and I said, hey, when you come out of this program, Here's what you're doing. I got some pictures of people doing that work, changing out nasty cabin air filters that have rat's nest in it. You're going to spend part of that day probably taking out the trash, emptying the oil drains, sweeping the floor, holding the exhaust pipe for another technician while he bolts it in. Yeah, day one, you're not going to be doing that type of work. But here is your path to growth. So once you've sort of, I, I hate when people say these kids have to come in and pay the, their dues. That, you can't think like that anymore. No. If you are, these folks aren't going to be working for you. They're going to go work for the dealership where they're gonna be giving them a wrench and an oil filter and saying, all right, you're doing 20 oil changes today and then tomorrow you're gonna grow further. But what we need to do is we do need to show them the basics. Hey, here's how we keep a shop clean. Here's how you keep your area clean. And then mentor and grow them from there. How do you change that mentality though of thinking I'm an A-Tech when I'm not? I mean, what do you do to change that thought process? Um, so one is, okay, you know, when I'm, when I'm in the classroom talking to them. Yeah. The other is through the interview process. You want to come and work here? Let me, let me tell you what your first six months are going to be. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And so what is, you said you mentioned a path earlier. What, what is that? What do, what do you mean? So um, I didn't always do this, but in the last year I created uh, a page and a half document that basically explains if you're coming in here as an apprentice, Here's, here's what you're going to be doing. So what I would expect, so this is for Matthew, the gentleman that we have on board right now. I sat him down. I said, you know, your, your first six weeks are going to be made up of this. You know, bullet points it out. You're going to be responsible for under, you know, learning how to safely lift a vehicle. You're going to be responsible for understanding safety in the, in the, um, in the shop. Um, you're going to have to understand, and this isn't necessarily in the first six weeks, but you're going to have to show us that you have competency on how to do a proper oil change and, tug, and tighten and torque lug nuts. And the person I have doing that is my lead tech. He's his mentor, and he's the one that's overseeing to make sure it gets done, and then I can sign off on it. But I went through all that with my lead tech before I interviewed this person. I said, here's what I expect of the, the apprentice. What do you think? He said, I think that's great. I think you've nailed all the points. Uh, and we may have tweaked one or two things. And then during the interview process, explained to the to Matt, hey, here, here's what your path looks like. I don't want you coming in thinking... You're being doing all these big engine jobs over the summer, and he said, "No, this is you know if this is the way that I grow. I'm on board with that." And we've revisited that. So he started in April, and he's out of school at the end of May. He works a little bit over 30 hours a week, 
and we've revisited that document twice since April, how do you think you're progressing? You know, mm -hmm. What questions do you have? We sat down with his mentor, had the same questions. Um, so if you set the expectations, this is what you're doing. And you also have to make sure your current team understands that. Hey, he isn't your monkey, right? He isn't going to be able to go and get you lunch. And he's not going to be going and getting the parts off the parts shelf for you. He's not necessarily going to be the one that always finishes your jobs. He'll help you on the jobs. So as long as the team knows, hey, we're hiring in this person, and here's what he or she is going to be responsible for. Here's how we're going to grow them. Are we all on board with this? So once you have your team and the applicant on board with what it is, then it's really clear. There's so many things here. So you mentioned the recruiting process of going to the schools and the Votech schools, the middle schools, the high schools. Man, that's fantastic. You mentioned a path, a training path, which I assume is also something you've shown to all these schools, which has gotten them excited about you and our industry, which is a real problem. Maybe we can talk about that too. I don't know. Um, and then you just mentioned mentoring, which is something completely different. So if I could take a moment there and just ask about the mentoring, you know, what does a mentoring program look like? How do you get someone interested in mentoring? What is that all about? So let me just set the, so what we have. So there's, I'm involved in the business. We have a service advisor, and then I have three full-time technicians, not including the apprentice. I, I constantly tell my lead tech and my service advisor their main responsibility is to hire their or train their replacements. The first time I said that, they kind of looked at me funny. And I said, if we're going to grow, if you want to meet your goals to be, you know, my lead tech wants to own his own shop someday. I said, great, we're going to get you there. But, but you need to be able to, you know, train your replacements. So, you know, so I explained to um, my lead tech, I sat down and I said, here's, here's what I'm thinking about doing with an apprentice from the tech school. Here's, and that's when we went over the document. I said, but I can't have all three of you technicians grabbing him and showing him things. I need one person that I like how you do things. I need you to show him how to do those things. And right now we can either mold him or we can sort of ruin him. So the decisions of, you know, what are we gonna do? He got all excited about it, my lead tech. This is great, thanks for the opportunity. Um, you know, so it, it helps him develop some skills. So that's even training that we're not even keeping track of, right? right. That's right. Not, um, exactly right. Glad you said that because I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, um, it gives him a little more sense of importance in the organization, you know, without having given a new title or a raise or anything like that. Yeah, his opinion matters. He's valuable. Mm -hmm. I mean, think of all the subliminal messages you're sharing with him. Yeah, you know, I, I have something to contribute. I have a legacy I'm leaving behind. I, I am being in, in, in put in in entrusting of the molding of this young brain. Man, that's. That's exciting. It should be for anybody. I would yeah. Think. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so he jumped at the opportunity to, to be that mentor, and it's worked out really well. They've developed a, a good relationship. Um, I get good feedback. Um, you know, we, we started to cut him out, uh, the apprentice, on some oil changes. I won't say on his own, but the work is dispatched to him. He's responsible for understanding the work order. We're 100% digital in the shop, so we don't have work orders. We have tablets. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's, he's been able to adapt to that very quickly. Um, so we've been able to cut him loose a little bit, but he still has a tether. He's still checking in with um, one of the other technicians on everything. So, hey, I just did this oil change. Can you please double check everything? I did a rotation. Would you check my, you know, make sure they're torqued properly? Um, and then, you know, there's always a quality assurance that we'll do on the back end as well. Do you find that, that he's at a point with uh, oil change, torquing, whatever it is, that, you know, We've checked him three, four times, and man, he's got this. I mean, are we there, or are we still? We, we are there, and I'll tell you. So we're doing digital inspections. 
his inspections. So here's here's something interesting, and the shop owners listening will, will probably appreciate this. I was reviewing, I, I, I'm, I'm big on the QA bandwagon right now. I gotta make sure that everything we're documenting is written properly. If we're doing an inspection, how many pictures do we take? Do we write things properly? So the client understands it, so our service advisor understands it. And I was reviewing- I hear some OCD. <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying. Um, it makes life easier down the road if we document it all now. Yeah. So I was reviewing one of our inspections and I saw the technician's name that was attached to that inspection. I said, man, that does not look like one of his inspections because he has some areas for improvement. So I, I wrote down the, you know, the type of car it was and the client's last name and I went back out in the shop and I asked him, I said, did you do this inspection? He's like, no, I don't, I don't think I did. I said, all right. So I went and asked my lead tech. I said, hey, did you do this inspection? Because I remember it was on your side of the shop that day. He's like, well, I did, but, but Matt did the majority of it. And the picture. Nice the apprentice. Yes, the apprentice did the majority of this. Everything was documented, you know. So I'm a big fan of putting the dial indicator on top of the tire tread depth, taking a picture of it. Here's your left front, you know, left front tire. Here's the tread depth. It was done all like that. Oh my gosh. So that's a the case in point. If we train them how we want them to act, that's how they'll continue to do it. And of course, reinforce positively. It's deeper than that, though. And here's why. If you bring someone who's been doing it whatever way they've been doing it for X number of years, it's going to be a lot harder to train that because now you got to untrain old bad habits. Mm -hmm. Here's someone who comes in with zero habits and ambition and excitement and desire. And you turn that into what you just said because he's not disputing it. He doesn't know any better. He can't say, well, before this was easier and we did it that way and I don't like this. There's nothing to say except, yeah. okay, boss, right? Right. That's fantastic, and it's his mentor that's showing him. Yeah. It's someone who's probably, I'm guessing here, but closer to his age. Yeah, so he's... Closer than you. Closer than me, yeah. Right? Yep. So, not to say that that means anything much, but it could. Yeah. Right? You know, yeah. I, it's not daddy talking to me or the boss. It's this person who's assigned as my mentor. Just the word mentor makes him more approachable, maybe, which yep. should make it easier for this transition, I, it's fantastic what you're doing. Yeah, you know, and so, you know, some folks listening to this may say, well, that's great, you know, but I got enough guys that could do oil changes and rotations. And that's that's true, you might, but it's a lot easier to find these young men and women. It's a lot, like, to your point you just made, it's a lot easier to train them and mold them. You know what, and, and somebody with his abilities and how we're, how we're molding him, you know, three, five years, he's not gonna be that A-tech, but he's gonna be a really strong B-tech somewhere Somewhere in that B tech range, mm -hmm. right? And then hopefully by that time, my lead tech has trained my current B tech to be that A tech. And then we're just constantly growing the team. So I'm gonna be devil's advocate for a moment. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned another guy who said he wants to try it out at the dealership. I know some people didn't forget that that are listening. Yeah. We're gonna go back to that. You spent, I think you said three years with him? Is yes. That right? Yes. And you got him to what level? B tech, C tech? He was, he was a C tech. A solid C? C minus. C minus. Okay, so yeah. it wasn't even a solid C. It was a little less than that. Okay, and he went to try his hand at the dealership. Now, a lot of people heard that and thought, yep, I invested three years in this guy and he left me. Where's the loyalty in that? You know, how many times do I have to do that? Boy, what a waste of time that was. What would you say to that person? Uh, that's one way to look at it. Uh, his leaving, I actually put on my shoulders. So that was before I had a service advisor. I was a one-man band. And what I didn't have in place at that time was a strong training program. I, you know what, my, my, I like to do reviews 
once a year. I really back then I really was trying for two, but it really was once a year. So I wasn't keeping on top of the problems. He had a little friction with another employee that I wasn't hundred percent aware of. So it wasn't because the grass was greener. It was maybe that environment's going to be a little bit better for me. We we I'll say we have a great culture in there, but if as an owner I wasn't keeping tabs on it. Um, and, and he actually, I think he took a step back going to the dealer because he was doing, you know, he was a lube tech there and I was giving him experience. You know, we were throwing work at him that was B-tech work, but he was approaching it like a C-tech and that was my fault. So that's one way to look at it. I, I look at that as if you're doing the right things, if you're constantly in touch with your employees, so we talk about doing one-on-ones with our techs weekly, every two weeks, which I'm doing now, thank goodness. Uh, if we have a structured training program, a growth plan for them, and if we're keeping on top of them in terms of understanding what their personal goals are, making sure that we're building relationships with them, that just, hey, thanks for, you know, busting ass on that break job. Yeah, that's one thing, but hey, you know, how's Bobby doing in school? You said he was struggling, you know, last month. You know, if we do all that, why would they leave? Why would a great they... question. Why? why? Would they... Yeah. How could they? They're yeah. not going to find that anywhere else. No. It's funny, I, I'm... I'm going to take a page out of our new employee engagement class that we're putting together, which, by the way, you got to attend when we get that going. All right. Plug. Now, anyway, <laughs> um, the, there's a piece in that class that we talk about w- with regards to what you just said, that when you treat them a certain way, where are they going to go? Where, where, where can they get that experience or that environment? Uh, they can't. And th- it's really about engaging them. It's about finding the connection with these people. But the connection comes from the fact that these, this millennial generation, we'll call them that, even though it's probably not all millennials, but mm-hmm. the millennial generation that we're talking about here is a, if you think about our experience as a child and their experience as a child, most of us, a lot of us, didn't come from broken homes, whereas a lot of these did. Mm. And we saw family at home, they see family at work. And what you just shared proves that point, that if you can create that family environment that they're starving for, you know, their parents split and they remarried and now they got step-siblings on both sides and maybe one of them divorced again and they have new step-siblings to the new marriage that happened and they're, they're so dysfunctional in their family relationships, they're starving for that. The shop is the new family relationship. I don't even know if you realize that, but that's what you did. I, you're right. I never thought about it that way. It's amazing. And, yeah. and so these kids coming out of school who a lot of them didn't grow up with that, they don't know what mealtime is and hanging out. And, you know, and if they do, it's a freaking mess, you know, lack of a better word, a circus. And you know, here you are providing some of that structure that they don't have. Man, I'll tell you what, I, I don't think you realize it, but you, you're doing, you, th- when you say, where else are they gonna go? That's why, that's the piece in their life they're missing. Yeah, I think these days, you know, probably you're, a large part of your audience is probably ATI members, I'm gonna guess. They're getting a lot of great info here, and uh, you know, if they're, if they're running their shops with a lot of what we learn at ATI, that's what you have to build. And so why, yeah, why would they leave? It's amazing what you're telling me. I mean, we, we could have 15 different podcasts or yeah. just this, but that's great. One more thing I want to ask you about with this. So you mentioned earlier that you feel that the trades 
are a good option these days. And I'm, and I'm sure if anyone's listening, you know, colleges are really expensive. We hear about all this stuff in the government about, you know, figuring out ways of providing forgiveness for loans or, or free college. I mean, there's all kinds of, especially now we're coming into an election time and, mm-hmm. and all that's coming up. College is not necessarily the place of choice as it used to be in my generation and you know, to some degree my kids, but even even kids my age or the, my kids' age are not necessarily being pushed in the college route anymore. Their trades are becoming definitely an option. Not so much because it's available, which it is. I mean, unemployment is an all-time low. It's considered zero unemployment because yeah. those that are employed or those that want a job have a job. Now it's the other way around. There, there's too many jobs and not enough people to fill them. So the trades become very attractive. And because of that, now they're starting to pay better too. So everyone's starting to see that. So here's my question. The automotive industry for a long time has had a really bad rap. We're, we're not looked at as the place to send our children to work. The guidance counselors don't see it that way. The parents don't see it that way. Hell, we don't even see it that way if you <laughs> want to know the truth. So how, how do you think you've managed to change the opinions or the outlook of the people that you're talking to to see you as this professional organization that they probably didn't see you as before you walked in that door? Yeah, so I think one thing is, you know, your presentation. You know, are you coming in all dirty, you know, dirt on the fingernails, that. You know, so, so one way, you know, how are you presenting yourself and how are you carrying yourself? How are you talking? You know, are you bringing that shop talk with you? you know, are you leaving that at the shop and coming in? A little bit more polished. Um, the question I like to ask when I'm talking with these school administrators or people, um, as a matter of fact, I'll, I'll really quickly, we're starting at our chamber, and it, so it's me and the chamber president starting this. How do we get better engaged with youth? So we're having meetings with more high schools now. Forget about automotive, mm-hmm. just what can we do to get better engaged with youth that want to learn more about business, that want to learn more about what's going on in the community, that might want to learn more about trades. So if you can get invited to those meetings or if you can suggest those sort of things, you come in with the question of, well, how can I help you? So in the city that I do, uh, where my business is, I want to say it's 35% go on to college. 35%. Uh, that's low. It's very low. And I guess I, I'm starting to get some information that of those 35%, not all of them make it their first year in school. So now they're sitting at home on mom and dad's couch. Or mom's couch, or dad's mom, couch. Mom and dad don't like that. No, they don't. <laughs> so, so this district now said, shoot, we need, we need to, you know, forget about this eighth grade idea. And this isn't one of the districts that I do the eighth grade talk at. They said we need to come up almost with a ten-year plan. So when these kids are in just out of elementary school, maybe fifth grade, they're starting this whole career discussion. And it's not to pigeonhole them into anything. It's to Jeff. What do you like to do? Right. What do you think you want to do? Right. To get your wheels moving. You know what? Maybe we come in and we have Bill from Rad Air talk to you about cars. You're into cars. You like playing with cars. Why don't you talk to someone that has an automotive business and he can tell you about cars? Or, you know, Sally, you think you want to be a hairdresser. You know, we'll have somebody from the cosmetology program come in. Um, so they're thinking that far in advance. And again, if some people listen to this may say, yeah, they, had, they did it at my school. They were trying to make my kid into this. And this, this approach is a little bit different. So anyways, to get back to your question... It, it's how do you approach the situation? I, I'm, I'm here to help. What can I do to help you get your... Because that's what the school districts look at. 
Mm-hmm. What happens to my students after they graduate? That's a measure of success for them or a measure of failure. Yeah, what's in it for me? Yeah. yeah. How are we going to help these kids? It's all that matters. Yeah, so don't go in there saying, I'm looking for a technician. Right. But, hey, what can I do to help? Well, you know, can I come in and be a guest speaker? Do you have, you know, some of these high schools now have Senior Experience Day. And I hosted a young man two summers ago who loves cars but does not want to be a mechanic. He's studying to be an accountant. He said, can I come and spend nine days with you? I said, sure, what do you want to do? He's like, I just want to see how the business runs. Yeah. My technicians still ask about him. Hey, how's Mike doing? Wow. Do you ever think he wanted to come and work in our industry? Probably not. He doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't. But, you know, so if, if your high schools are doing those sort of things, invite somebody in just to come in and look. Maybe you need someone to help with some marketing stuff. What, what do you think he's saying about your shop, though, regardless of whether he ever comes to work? Oh, he, he, you know, he, you know, he, he lives, so not only does he doesn't even go to school in our area, he's about 25 minutes away from our shop. He still brings his vehicles in for oil changes. Not surprised. And he, and he likes to talk to the guys. And he tells everybody how great you yeah. guys are. So think about that impression. Yeah. You talk about the, yeah. you know, the, the language and the, hey, we're the bad place to be and it's rough and gruff and, you know, we don't like women, blah, blah, blah. Here's a, here's a young individual. So he's a, uh, he'll be a junior in college. Um, very clean cut young man. He, he's out seeing it. The automotive industry looks awesome to me. Right. It's clean. The guys are nice. Yeah, good experience. That's fantastic. Yeah. But I think, you know, the big thing for, for shop owners, you know, what are you doing in your community? You know, are you inviting people in, you know, for community days? Are you having any sort of open houses? Are you out talking to the schools? Are you out, you know, meeting with vocational? Are you going to the car shows and seeing who's that? And that's one thing we did too. I just sponsored a car show in our community and I suggested to them, if I'm going to do this, I want you to openly invite high schoolers. I said, why would we do that? I said, well, because they own cars and they're interested in cars and maybe people would want to talk to them about their cars. So the car show actually fell over. It was so, there were so many people that some of the high school students couldn't get in. But they were able to park their cars and talk with attendees. That, yeah, I go, to, I go to the tech school. Yeah, this is my car. Here's what I've done to it. Mm-hmm. So we need to start including that, you know, how many you know, of these guys with these old cars probably like, oh, what, what's that guy with that tuner car? That guy with that lowered Miata? Why do I want to talk to him? Because clearly he has He's, interesting cars. If exactly. He do that, right? Or Who cares he about the car? If he didn't, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So look for those opportunities. All right. One more question. Yeah. And this is maybe not a question you can answer. Maybe more of a gut answer than an actual factual answer. You start talking to the tech schools. Then you start talking with the eighth graders or the high schools. Do you feel like as you continue these conversations that there's some sense of a, I don't know, a piggyback approach? That you know, the tech school says something to a high school. High school says, "Man, that sounds good. I'd like to talk to him." And you know, maybe there is some, I don't know, gravy train or, or you know, grapevine. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but there there is some further progress because of word of mouth in this world that's bringing more to you naturally without you having to seek it out. Yeah, I th- I think that is. Yeah, I talked about this the youth program that we're doing with the chamber. We're, we're casting the net pretty wide. So there's entrepreneur, I don't know if you knew this or not, many high schools now have entrepreneur, entrepreneurship classes. Who should they be hearing from? Entrepreneurs. Exactly. <laughs> Business owners, shop owners. Wait, um, I'm, I'm asking the questions here. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, as word gets out, hey, you want someone to come and talk to you? Go talk to that shop owner. He did a great job. Or you know what? His wife's involved in the business. She should come in and talk to the students. Yeah. Oh, by the way, if, if they're that nice in the classroom, they probably run a pretty good business. Maybe I should take my car there and get it fixed. Yeah, yeah. that's really great. Bill, this is fantastic. Yeah, I, I'm really passionate about getting youth closer to our industry. And uh, you know, this is a great way to do it. It's a great way to help our businesses. So how much money have you spent on all this? 
Uh, aside from some marketing materials, like uh, so, I'll I'll take one of our I'll get these little yellow plastic cups, and I, I give the kids a uh, tire pressure gauge. Um, so I I probably have two hundred dollars over the last four years. Wow, so nothing, Josh. It's really expensive. How, how could you afford that? I don't know. I don't know. So what you've obviously invested a lot of time. I mean, that's really where your expense is. It is. How much time do you think you've invested in it? Oh, in the last four years, probably have 30, 40 hours. 40 hours over four years. Yeah. 10 hours a year. That's, that's you got to be kidding me. That's nothing. Uh, and here's the beauty. You, you build one PowerPoint, you just reuse it, right? right? So, that, I mean, that's, yeah, yeah. It, it's a minimal time investment. I really enjoy it. it. It's fun to talk to the young men and women that are interested in our, our industry and one thing we didn't even talk about is one of the schools I'm involved with, there's an advisory council. So guess what they do? They invite the dealerships in. They invite guys like me in, the folks listening to this podcast. You get invited in. What do you need from the people we're graduating? You know what we told them all at the last one? They need to be able to do courtesy checks. It's a good staple. Yeah, because they weren't necessarily teaching that. You get someone that can do a great courtesy check... Yeah, that's what we need them to be able to do. Sure, they're going to get all the other stuff. That's part of the program. But you're right. asking us for something that, that. So get on get on one of those advisory councils. Get your foot in the door. The last one we did, Carvana was sitting to the right of me. Right? Are you familiar with Carvana? That's the, the basically they drop the car off at your house kind of thing. So I got Carvana sitting to the right of me. I got a dealership sitting, sitting to the left of me. There's no competition in the room. And we're not fighting for these kids. We want to help them. But now you're making connections in the industry as well. Yeah. So a lot of benefits. I could go on and on, Jeff. Yeah, I clearly. clearly. <laughs> this is fantastic. Bill, do, is there anything else you think is pertinent to share? Uh, so like anything, you can't do it once and say, oh, it failed. It, you got it. it you know, repetition's the mother of skill. So go out, make the introductions, have the meetings. Yes, you know, you say, gosh, I got to leave the shop for an hour. Do it. Get invited. Get on the lists. And... Uh, you know, the more you, the, the more you attend, the more you get seen, the easier it'll be. You know what I think would be great for listeners? You just sparred a thought. Hmm. If you were to break this down into a step-by-step process, right? First thing I would recommend you do is this. Second thing is this. Third thing is this. Do you think you could articulate that roughly, loosely? Yeah. Go ahead. All right. So if you're not already a chamber member, right. find out who, who's your local chamber. Contact that chamber of commerce president. She'll, he or she will probably be a little bit willing, more willing to work with you if you're already a member. But let them know. Say, you know, I want to be able to give back to the community. I want to be able to be in the classroom and talk to automotive tech students. Who should I get connected with? Once okay. you get that connection, make that phone call. If, you're, if, you're, if it's easier for you to make an email, send an email and say, here's who I am. Here's what my shop. And I'd like to be able to help you with your students. If you're ever looking for guest speakers or you want a perspective of what it's like to work in the shop, I'm the person that can help you with that. What would you say to the person who says, there's no tech schools around me? There's nothing. Then I would, I would go to the regular high school and talk to that principal or that guidance counselor and ask them. So you're going to have students. There are kids throughout the United States that want to do this. Right? Or else we wouldn't have these programs in a lot of districts. Absolutely. As we said, there's jobs. Right. They need people. Yeah. These are people that can fill them. So go ahead. Get at the high school level and ask them. You have students that might be interested in this. Where are they going after school? after high school uh, maybe they're going to you know a Lincoln there's this we have one that just popped up in Cleveland called Matrix uh, Ohio Technical College anyways um, find out what they're doing with those students today so do you have students that are interested in automotive that are sort of just floundering that want to learn more let me have them over to my shop for a day let me talk to them a little bit 
and then maybe get connected with those other schools where those students go after graduation. Make sure you have relationships with those folks. Now you might say that those schools don't generate the kind of type of people I'm looking for, but you need to make those connections with the students as well as the school because maybe that student when they're done, you can still have a time to mold them. The thing is, the best thing is just have the conversation. Yeah. Just open dialogue, start talking to people. What's the old saying? It's not what you know, it's who you know. Exactly. This is networking. That's all this is. And as a shop owner or as a service advisor, we are used to hearing no. Mm-hmm. So this, <laughs> we've got thick skin already, so talking in these you know, shouldn't be an issue for us. It, well, the problem is, I think, for most people, it's way outside of their comfort zone. Because we're used to reacting to things, not proactively going after it. And that's really what you're talking about. Just making it happen. Instead yeah. of placing an ad and crossing your fingers and realizing nothing's going to work. So this this is fantastic. There's there's currently now, I think, something like 86,000 unfilled jobs in our industry. And that number is going to continue to grow. By 2030, it's going to be absolutely unbearable, the problems we're going to have in this industry if we don't figure out really quickly how to bring in new talent, train them, grow them, train them, and make them something of value. Because the, the rest of them are retiring. They're just leaving. They are. And if we don't do it, somebody else is. So I was at a local uh, Speedway this past weekend, and guess what the PA announcer said? Can't imagine. Somebody paid for an ad, a local welding company, that listed out all the benefits, how much money they're going to make as a full-time welder. So companies are getting creative about how they find these people. So if we're not going to go out and try to find them, talk to them, and talk about the benefits, the companies that do the welding will, yep. the, pump, the plumbers, the HVAC, the electricians, they're going to figure it out, and they're going to go after the talent that maybe we should be. So if we keep thinking we're going to get someone in for 8 or 9 or $10 an hour and convince them this is a good career, when they can start over as a welder at $15, $18, $20 an hour, and get full benefits. Exactly. Why on earth would we even consider automotive? Right. That's where I, we I'm come with in. you. I'm with you. Fantastic. Really good stuff, man. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. I really, really, really appreciate that. Anybody listening just got an education on how to save their business. This was fantastic. Thank you. Okay, everyone. Sharpen your pencils. It's reflection time. Where do we begin? Bill just ran a fire hose down our throats, I believe. Uh, There was just so much here. So uh, let's just start before we get into the whole uh, staffing opportunity that we have here with with training and the kids. You know, he told a story about how he got into business to begin with at the very beginning of this podcast. And I just want to take a moment here to ask you guys to really think about that. You know, that story that he told about how you know, he got bad service, his car broke down, and, and it made him realize that, you know, somebody needs to do a better job. Why not him? You know, that is a story that every consumer needs to hear. You know, if, if you were looking for a business to do business with, wouldn't you want to do business with a company that had a story like that? Every single one of you has a story like that somewhere. You may not know it. It may have been many, many years ago, but it's in there. I encourage you to really think about that. Go back to the people who were around during the time you first got started. Ask them to, to think about you know, what the things you said and, and the things you did. and you know, What is it that got you excited about being in this business? Find your unique story. Stop writing the same boilerplate BS that everybody else writes. There's something unique about your situation, and that is what draws people to you. You know, he also talked about what it was like to be a consumer of an automotive shop 
you know, for him, it wasn't that long ago, but for a lot of us, it's been a long time, if ever. Some of us just grew up in this and never even ever were a consumer in our industry. And how, how could we really even begin to understand what a consumer goes through if we've never experienced it or if we have, it's been so long ago? You know, I, I really want you to think about that. You know, what, what is it that they're really experiencing? We have to be careful about, you know, our own judgments about, well, that'll never work and this because of that. And, you know, I, I know they'll get upset. I can't tell them those things. That's too much money. And is it really or is it just our mind believing things that really we have no business telling our mind to believe because we have no experience there? You know, I, I would really have you think about that. If you're one of those shops that's having a hard time, you know, convincing your staff or convincing yourself for that matter, that maintenance is important and that we should be recommending things at certain mileage intervals that go against, you know, what the manufacturer might say because it's the right thing to do. You know, the manufacturer, let's face it, is, is putting recommendations in place, not because it's what's best for the customer for the car, but it's what's best for the manufacturer because that's how they sell more cars. It's easy to sell a maintenance-free car. It's not easy to tell them they have to do service every three or four or 5,000 miles. They need transmission services every 30,000 miles. They need struts every 75,000 miles. They need timing belt every 100,000 miles. They're not going to say those things because they can't sell cars that way. It's up to us to be smarter than that. It's up to us to tell them the truth. If we don't, somebody will. And at some point, that's going to fall back on us. All right. Let's get into the meat of this podcast. Yeah, I'm going to start with the end and then go back. At the very end, what Bill really said sums this whole thing up for me, which is this. Who is really your competition when it comes to staff? Your competition is not the dealership. It's not your independent garage right down the street. It's not the franchises. It's not any of them because they're having the same problem you are. The competition is where the people are going and where they're going is to the ones that have the better opportunities or at least they feel or see they have the better opportunities because they're out there talking about it. We've all heard those ads of that trucking company or that machine company or that, that plumbing company or electrician company or whatever it is that says, hey, come work for us. Two-week extensive training program, $30 an hour to start, two weeks vacation, full benefits. How do you compete with that? Here's how you compete with that. You do what Bill did. And you walk into those schools and you go into those Votech uh, environments. You talk to the kids. You get them excited about us. Show them that career path. Which, by the way, if you take a moment and I don't know how many of you have done this. If you haven't, go into your ATI portal. Look under tools at the tech training curriculum. If you haven't really taken the time to look at it, that is the career path that Bill's referring to. It's there. Talk to your coach. Come to the staffing and hiring class, and I'll show it to you. But you need to make sure that you're showing the kids out there that we can compete with these other organizations, that within five to six years, I can turn you into a six-figure salary because you become that master A-tech that you should be. You can take a kid or, or a person, I should say, that's stuck in a lube situation, you know, a quick lube center, where, you know, a lot of us have said, I'm concerned about companies like that because they're starting to get into our business, right? They're, they're doing air conditioning work now, tire rotations, brakes, all kinds of flushes, belts, hoses. 
you know, you name it, batteries, they're doing all the stuff that we want to be doing. And they're taking away some of what we'll call that gravy that we all know is important to our business and our profits. And while that's a bad thing, if you look at it from that perspective, it's a fantastic thing when you look at it from training. They're teaching our entry-level people what they need to know to be good entry-level people. And depending on the situation, whichever loop center we happen to be talking about here, some of them have a tremendous training program. And while that sounds good for them, it's actually not because any of the people that have any ambition to be something beyond what those companies can provide, that's where you get to come in because they can't make them an ATEC or a BTEC or even really a full CTEC. You can though. So you can offer them that opportunity the same way you can offer these kids that opportunity. It really, really, really is important to understand that you're not going to continue to place ads and hope that the people that you want are going to respond to them. There just isn't that many of them out there anymore. They're retiring. They're going on to other careers. They're, they're just not there. And the ones that are, they have good jobs. Their, their bosses aren't going to let them go, just like you wouldn't let them go. Unfortunately, the problem is the only leverage we think we have is throwing money at them. And that usually doesn't last too long. We need to come up with ways of having other leverage, like what Bill discussed with his culture and how he treats his people and what opportunities he provides everyone. Giving them the chance to be a mentor, giving them the opportunity to be a part of something bigger than just coming to work every day and fixing cars. Showing them from the time they walk in the door what makes Rad Air different. What makes your shop different? Is it? Or if I'm one of those mechanics that you really wanna hire, am I out there thinking to myself, yep, job's a job, because nobody is showing me anything different. Why not you? Why not be the company that everybody in the community looks up to? Because you're the ones taking these kids and giving them a life that they wouldn't necessarily have been able to have had they not gone through your training program. You should be training anyone and everyone you think you can. Build an environment where not only you're training people to build your own staff, but when you get to a point where you don't need any more staff, you keep training them and putting them out into our industry and getting them jobs at other companies. Think about how that would look to the community and to the environment. This is not about finding employees. This is about doing good things, doing good work, being the company that cares. It's so easy to do if we can wrap our heads around it. But we keep relying on other people to do it for us and bringing in people with bad habits. When are we going to learn that's not going to work? Bill shared so many great ideas on how to do it. But rather than rehash it all, you can rewind and listen if you like. I'm just going to outline what I heard, a seven-step process for how you can get this done. First thing is get connected with the chamber. Find whoever you need to and get connected. Be a part of a business-to-business -business community. From there, get connected with the tech schools, and you can use the chamber to make that happen. Get connected with the high schools, even the junior high schools. Get involved in what's going on in those schools. Volunteer your time. Give. That's the thing, guys and gals. We can spend money or we can spend time. And the spending of the time always, always pays off 
in huge dividends. The problem is a lot of us give up way too soon. We don't commit, we don't give it the chance to grab roots and grow. We're looking for immediate results and we don't get that right away and we give up. We try it once, it doesn't work and we're done. We gotta commit to this. It's worth it. The next thing we wanna do is show a career path, have a career path, use that tech training curriculum, create that environment. We have to have mentor and training programs. There's not enough of that in our industry. We need more mentors. These older people that are retiring, I just mentioned, they are your mentors and trainers. Don't let that knowledge leave your store. Do something with it. Even if you keep them on part-time, semi-retired, give them the chance to let their legacies live on. They'll want to do it. It'll be fantastic for your company. It'll be fantastic for them. And it'll be fantastic for those kids that are coming in. And don't give up. Stick to it. Have the tenacity. Have the desire and the drive. Don't give up. Don't think this is just you, by the way. All of your staff can participate in this. You don't have to be the only one volunteering. You know, as he said, in order to do that, you got to go in, look in the part, you know, asking how you can help, promoting the future for these kids, showing them that path. Last thing I want to leave you with is, um, this was recorded probably a year and a half ago now. Um, I apologize, Bill. <laughs> but uh, COVID, ha Anyway, um, when we started recording this, the employee engagement class was just starting, and now it's well underway. Uh, most of you, I'm sure, know that. So if you haven't been to that class, listening to what Bill said about how it really engages and empowers people when you, when you run your business as an entrepreneur, as a leader, as someone who's engaged, as someone who's inspiring, as doing all of these things, creating that future, giving them an opportunity to share, that's what the engagement class really is all about. So if you're looking for assistance in that, please make sure you sign up for that class. Thank you all for, for listening to our podcast today. Bill, thank you so much for all that you shared. And I would recommend to everyone listening, you might want to rewind this one and listen to it a couple of times. You have been listening to Driving Change from ATI. If you liked what you've heard today and feel you have something compelling to share with your fellow shop owners, we're waiting to hear from you. You can contact me, Jeff Berman, by emailing podcast at autotraining.net. Let me know what it is you can't wait to share and how I can reach you. Make sure you follow this podcast so you're notified when the next podcast is available. If you're unfamiliar with ATI and you want to learn more, you can check us out online at autotraining.net. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.